0: Hi, it's a Thursday, Uh needed a day off, but uh, let me do today a talk on mm, Sukkot and history and Arbaminim, a uh, famous incident from American history, uh, which is now, you can find everything online. This is being sponsored by Ari Elbaum and the Elbaum family in honor of Ravi's recovery in London. He hurt himself last year, and he came back bounce back 100%, and that's a big deal. And uh, sometimes there's a pseudo I guess you'd call this a podcast Huda. Uh I look forward to seeing them, actually, next time I'm in Europe. Uh, so, Baruch Hashem. Now, and the, the Rufu Shlem, we should say Rufu Shlem. Now, um, <coughs> here we have to do with the history of Esthergs. I don't know if I ever spoke about it in the past. There's, obviously, you can imagine that... Uh, in Jewish history, uh, the provision of a has always been a big issue because if you're from Jew, one of the things you got to take care of is to make sure you have a stroke at this time of the year. The other thing you got to do is make sure you have matzah. Um, when I did the uh, podcast on the Chavinarov, who ended up in Stalin's um, central Russia, Siberia actually, for a while in 1941 or two when he ran away. From Hitler, the first thing he did when he stuck in Middle of Siberia is let's get ready for how we gonna have matzah <laughs> you know, for Pesach and he had to move heaven and earth. I don't remember all the details anymore. You know, in in, in those wartime conditions, how do you get matzah together? But you see, that's how you think. You and I don't think that way today because we live in a modern industrialized food society, and uh, there's normal communications and things like this and transportation, and therefore we can rely on capitalism. Somebody will provide matzo around the time of Pesach. The prices will be what they are, but it'll be there. And same thing with Ar- Arbaminim. Somebody will provide, at your local situation, uh, a little of an Again, the price is a separate story, but there will be a little of an over there because somebody's making money on it. Making a lot of money on it. <clears throat> now, um, but what happens when conditions are such that, uh, you know, it could be war or something like that, they're not available. Then, Jews historically have moved heaven and earth. It's very interesting. I don't have time to go into this in great detail, but they moved heaven and earth to try to um, make sure that some other get an asterisk. If you read the Chaim Weitzman um, uh, autobiography, it was trial and error. When he met with Allenby right after the British conquered Palestine in late 1917, early 1918, uh, I, rem- I think that's when it was. I'm going by memory. He said something like, you know, a bunch of, uh, he said, you know, the Orthodox Jews in Jerusalem asked me if you can get a special permit to get lulav and asterisks from Egypt during the wartime conditions, which Allenby said, yes. I'm just saying, even in the middle of all the world going upside down, the Chaim Zonnefeld types and all that in Yerushalayim were worried about where you're going to get your asterisk, where you're going to get your lulav. you see. Uh, now, historically speaking, when Jews lived in the Mediterranean area, so there are places where they in the Mediterranean where they where they grow estrogium. Uh Obviously, in ancient Israel, must be asphodels because that's where it comes from. Meaning the idea that there's a mitzvah of asphodels, what we identify with the citron. Uh, but there are other places on the Mediterranean that they grow asphodels. Uh, and when Jews, you know, what I mean, in other words, you could write a book. Maybe somebody has. When the actual history, as far as we know, Cecil Roth, I think, has an article or two. You know Where Lamaisa did Jews procre- pro- procure their esrogim from? And already long, long, long ago, you already had what they call the Yanover, in other words, from southern Italy. Yanova is a Jewish corruption of Genoa. Genoa is actually in northern Italy. And over the course of Jewish history, Genoa became the port, it seems, where they would ship the stuff from southern Italy. I'm talking about the boot, you know what I mean? Calabria and Apulia, the the, the heel and the toe of the boot of Italy at the bottom near sicily that's where they used to grow still do a lot of uh esrogim and uh long 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 ago you'd have to worry about grafting because the lemons weren't introduced in the middle east yet but then they were and that caused trouble and like i said there's a constant history to the uh problem of the uh you know how to get good esrogim that are not grafted and stamazoi without going into too many details jews Organized because there was money in it, you know. Jews organized a trade in this game, obviously, in the months preceding Sukkot every year, so that the stuff basically, as we understand it, would go to Genoa from Genoa, uh, which is on northwestern Italy, right? The port city over there. So, you know, Venice is on one side of the Italian peninsula, Genoa's on the other. And Genoa was an empire once upon a time. And, uh, and from there, they would take it north to Germany and to Central Europe and to Eastern Europe even, and so forth. Uh, that's where you get the idea of the casino and the others the honor of Rastroga. However, uh, in the late 1700s, early 1800s, uh, the Napoleonic Wars broke out. Specifically, there were 25 years from 1790, let's say, to 1815, when you had the French Revolutionary Wars and the Napoleonic Wars. all one thing, the French against everybody else. And... That's when uh, there's a lot to talk in the subject. I don't get too much into it, but that is when, um, what do you call it, that? Is when the um, the nature of war got such that they in, introduced economic boycotts as well. Because used to be you traded with the enemy. People don't mm. know that. Used to do business with the enemy all the time, uh, but in the in the uh, Seven Years' War, the British, the English blockaded the French, and it would turn out to be a very effective movement. As a result, that became a tool of warfare, and so on and so forth. And you couldn't get the stuff from southern Italy, which was ruled by the French, into the northern Europe, which wasn't. There was the other side of the war zone. And I'm simplifying, but that's the basic idea. And that's where the Greeks in Corfu, which is an island, you got to know your geography, just get a map and look at it, which is on the Ionian Islands on the other side of the boot of Italy, not far from Calabria at all, the Greeks themselves—they uh, saw an opening, Greek Gaim, and they uh, sailed up the Adriatic, which is not far away, and landed in Trieste, and that's where they set up a market to sell West Rogum, which was supposed to be very pretty and so forth. Uh, the Shiloh was, are they grafting it or not? And this was an issue that raged all through Jewish history in Europe in the eighteen hundreds. Do you want the Ionovis Rogum? You want the West Rogum? Israeli Esrogan were not around yet till much later. Uh, and a lot of the shalas and chubas in the 19th century evolved around all this business. Uh, and then there was also what they called the Corsica Esrogin because Corsica is an island rather close to Genoa. And in all these places, they grew Esrogan. The question always was, uh, as we know, are they grafted or are they of? Uh Which is a problem that's been going on forever. And the classic thing on this is already in the Maram Padua writing to the Rama. That's already in the 16th century, you have this kind of stuff. So you can just imagine. Now, I'm talking about Baltimore, Maryland, and the uh, United States of America in the 19th century. Turns out that there, as also grew in the West Indies, like in Jamaica, uh, they're not worth anything. You didn't make anything out of them. There was a time in the 19th century where candy manufacturers, like, you know, made candy out of uh, They They put sugar and stuff like that on Estrogum and sold them for a while. That got killed later on. Uh, That's what I understand anyway. uh, But the bottom line is, if you're living in the USA in the early 1800s or middle 1800s, where do you get your Rogan from? So the old-fashioned way was you shipped them from Europe. After all, there's a profit to be made, so it'll happen. And indeed, you know, people from... uh, uh the you know who lived in the 13 colonies and then the the 13 states and so on and so forth you probably got their stuff from shipped from Europe uh either from Italy uh then again remember Morocco has this rugum correct so you could you know from just from a geography point of view there could have been a trade in Moroccan this for all I know uh especially since the original Jews were Portuguese Jews they will feel comfortable with that I imagine but then again it turned out that guess what? In in Jamaica and Barbados and those kind of places or Esrogam, they like I say, they grow a lot because believe me, those areas, the West Indies, was a slavery, get it? The economy was slavery. That's was the main place the British sent the slaves besides the US. And they had these big slave plantations, but they're not growing Esrogam, the slaves. They're doing, you know, cotton and uh what do you call it? Uh the rum, you know what they make the rum out of and all all those kind of things. Sugarcane and whatever. So, bottom line is, you could get an estuary from much closer from the West Indies. Uh, this was the Shiloh. Now, in 1830, things changed in the sense that all of a sudden, forget the Portuguese Jews, tens of thousands of German Jews moved to America. As we know, this was the second wave. First were the Portuguese Jews, then came the, the German Jews, then came the Eastern European Jews. So, the, the era of the German Jews... Is starting 1830s to, let's say, 1880. And that's where our story takes place. And uh, here you have more and more, I mean, literally, the U.S. Jewish population ballooned. I think there were like 8,000 Jews in the whole USA in 1830, something like that, something like that, very little. Uh, and then there were uh, 16,000 and 50,000 and 80,000 and so forth. They really poured in the huge numbers. Basically, we, 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 we figure a quarter of a million uh, German Jews came to America in the middle of the 1800s, which is a lot, relatively speaking. Now, I say Germany, I mean Central Europe. You know, you just call them German Jews even if you're from Bohemia or you're from Holland or things like that. The whole business is called German Jews. Now, uh, and most of my I think, came from Bavaria. Southern Germany, those kind of places, because of the anti-Semitic laws that were in force over there. Bohemia and Moravia. I'm sorry, Bohemia and Bavaria. Now, uh, where do you get your estrogum from? They were still traditional, you know? And with Sukkos, you want to get a little of an asterogam, or maybe a shul at least would get a little of an asterogam. You see, in the old days, in the Middle Ages and afterwards, it was, you know, the asterogam, especially depending where you lived, was hard to get. So a lot of times it would just be like one or two, you know, because it cost too much money. Um, think about the poor Jewish family. They literally couldn't afford to buy a little of an set. And so he had to use the shoals. That's the origins of, like, from my youth, when, um, when, when um, people could afford to buy a little Vanessa. When I was a kid, uh, literally, I remember as a little child, went with my father to the old Central Hebrew Bookstore, Meish Khan. You used to be two fifty, two dollars and fifty cents, for a little benedict set. And if you want the fancy ones, it five bucks. Five bucks didn't break anybody when I was a kid. Uh, but the uh, social attitude, people remember, from Eastern Europe was, you don't have your own little Manasarit. Only the rich people in the town have a little Manasarit. A few people. Everybody else uses the shoals. You know, so that's what they continue to do uh, in Baltimore, and I'm sure around the country, uh, long ago. That was part of the, the culture of how you celebrated Sukkot. You know what I mean? The culture of how you celebrated sukkas. Um But... Uh, which doesn't have anything to do with the halachas of it. Uh, with the rise of the yeshivas, people have more halachic sensibility, and they realize, hey, everybody can have a little vaneserik. Uh, but anyway, I don't want to get off into that tangent. The question was, so where do you get your Esrogan from in the USA? Do you slip them over from Europe? That's one way. Or do you bring them in from the West Indies, from Jamaica, from, from Barbados? There were Jews long, long, long ago, spharnam, Portuguese Jews and that sort of thing who lived in these areas. I think many know you go to Curaçao and these other places, they have old synagogues, don't they? I think they still show, show to tourists. And um, once upon a time, and there was a lot of money to be made by living in those places and trading back and forth. That's where Alexander Hamilton comes from, right? That's why they say, uh, you know, his his mother was friendly with a Jewish uh, businessman or something like that. Uh, because there were Jews living in these places. Um uh, and they had great plantations and junk like that. Now, um, it comes the 1840s. Well, by the 1840s, then things start to change a little bit because you start to get rabbis come over. Now, most of the rabbis were no damn good. That's just how it happened. They started the reform movement. But in the 1840s, just beginning. And the first rabbi came here was from, that was Rabbi Rice in Baltimore. I spoke about him. He was a great Talmud Chachem and a very firm guy and tzaddik. also also. Uh, he had a difficult life, but he was a tremendous Talmud Chachem. He'd been like one of the best guys in the yeshiva in, in, in uh, Würzburg and, and in Firth and so forth. So he was, you know, let's put it this way. When the Baltimore Shul hired him, they had no idea what a Talmud Chachem was. And I don't know how much it meant to them because eventually they had such bad relations that he quit on them. Uh, but whatever the case is... Uh, you had somebody who, who was a posik, uh, mamish a posik. You have to go to Europe. You got a posik here. And those Jews who cared around the United States, such as the U.S. was at that time, which is more or less up to the Mississippi, you know, the half of the country, uh, anybody who was a Jewish Jew who cared knew, in Baltimore, you have a real rabbi. You Knows What I mean is a real posik today, you know. And, uh, you know, that stature... Like for example, you have right behind him in Baltimore or somebody like that, or W. double in New York, you know, something, something, something like that. Uh, so, and he used to get shyless. Um, on the other hand, at the same time, in the middle of the 1840s, he started to get the first trickle of people who would start the reform. And the first guy who came over, who had any kind of pretensions, was Max Lilienthal, who's a well-known person, who was a Bavarian Jew. And he went to Ishii. he had some kind of smith, he did, but he also went to college, got a PhD and so forth, which wasn't so hard in those days. And then, uh, and he came from, like I would say, a fairly well-to-do background. And um, when he came to, and when he was young, he, his let's put it this way, he was a Moskel. When I say Moskel, he wanted to be a Moskel like Moses Mendelssohn type. Remember, Mendelssohn believed in in keeping Shabbos and keeping Kozharah. And so this guy did. But on the other hand, you should be very broad-minded and musculic in your general hushkafas and your desire to educate Jews that they should be Europeanized. And this is what attracted... So he he got it when, when he was... Uh, when he forgot his doctorate, he took a job to be a principal or something like that of a musculic school in Russia, in in Riga, I think. That was in Latvia, which I've mentioned before, was right outside the Pale Settlement. And there was more German-type Jews. It's interesting. In this area came out of Haskalah, And this area also became the headquarters of the Mussarists. It's just interesting. And um, so he was principal of a Moschelic school. I repeat, the, the Haskalah I'm talking about is the Mendelssohn-type Haskalah, which says, yeah, you should keep the mitzvahs, but you should have a very good secular education, and you should be very... Uh, uh, I would say, generally speaking, left-wing in your in your Hashkafas. And um, I guess it's not exactly the open Orthodox, but it's something like that. And uh, this attracted him, this brought him to the attention of the Russian government under Tsar Nicholas I, who was out to convert the Jews and who realized from day one that you have to un these guys who were addicted to the Talmud, which was true. And therefore the Russian government hired this guy, Rabbi Dr. Lilienthal, Rabbi Dr. Lilienthal, to uh, be like the head of uh, of all Jewish education in the Russian Empire. So basically, and, and try to get the Jews in Russia to see it that way. So the closest example I could think of today, speaking today in Sukkot in the year 2022, is we have this whole brouhaha you're reading about in New York where the state of New York's trying to compel the Hasidic yeshivas to have English and that sort of thing. So imagine if they hired a guy who was, uh, again, I'll be in in, in approximate terms, who was, let's say, a graduate of Abbey Weiss or something like that, and they put him in charge to him bureaucratic power um, to force or certain pressure the Jewish communities in, um, say, Williamsburg and the other Hasidic ones and say, you have to have a full English program. Uh, and you should accept it on your own because it's actually a a plus for you. Now, obviously, the Chassidim don't see it that way. <laughs> the Satmar does not see it that way. Otherwise, they wouldn't be teaching this way. If anything, the trend now in the Haredi world, as far as I can see, is in the opposite direction. I see Litvish at schools, uh, or hear of them anyway, where little by little they're dropping the English. It's a little weird, but that's what's happening. Uh, you've heard of it too, I'm sure. But he's going the other direction. And uh, the fact that he was employed by the government actually should make him look like he's a traitor, and he held that he wasn't, and so they had a whole back and forth, which he wrote a whole memoir about, uh, in uh, later on, which is actually extremely interesting. He met the and, and and it's Voloshaner. Uh, it's it's quite a story. I, mean, I don't have time to do justice to it, uh, but in the long and the short of it is, for one reason or another. Either he realized at one point that this is counterproductive, or maybe he stole money. There's different versions. Uh, he ran away from Russia. He actually went to get married in Germany, never came back. That's what happened. Then he moved to America. That's where our story takes place. He came to New York City in the land of the blind, the one eyed man is king. Compared to other people in New York in 1845, I think it was. Uh, when he came here, Domeropsis uh, was unbelievable. So a guy like him who knows a fair amount, a very modest fair amount, um, you know, was already like chief rabbi. He called himself chief rabbi. A bunch of shoals, like three or four shoals recognized him as a chief rabbi. This is the beginning of the German Jews coming in big numbers. The old Anche Chesed, which is, I think, in the Lower East Side, I think, later on it was O.Z., you know, it uh, you a know, well-known shul in its day. And, believe me, he set up a in and uh, you know, to do uh, Gittin and Chalitzes and this and that, and then Kashras, uh, so it sounds very impressive. On the other hand, I'll say it again, he's like one of these rabbis who says, you know, I am a Jewish leader. You find some people talk like that. You should listen to me because I'm a Jewish leader. I have a samichah from this and this place, uh, which is, you know, always a little bit weird that uh, somebody makes such a claim. But having said that, uh, let's put it this way. You could already see at that time, this guy was a Kaal Shabbat And that he's moving very slowly, but very directly, to the left. Now you can't compare him, in terms of learning or anything like that, with Rabbi Rice in Baltimore. There's no no comparison. You understand? It's just no. You know, it's a different universe of Torah knowledge, and let alone Yiddishkeit. So, already early on, Rabbi Rice basically said like this: "I don't, you know, I don't trust this guy." And he got real angry. Lilienthal got real angry. He says, he don't trust me. Eh, I know more than him. You know, well, I'm firmer than him, which, of course, was a joke. But in America, you could say anything. And in 1846, 1847 it was, whatever it was. Uh, so Lil- Rabbi Lilienthal, who later moved to to, to 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 Cincinnati and really set up a Reformed congregation. Maybe it's still there for all I know. The Reformed temples but he wasn't quite there yet. So he said like this, what does Rabbi Rice know? He's no good. He has lousy hechsheirim because he permits the import of esrogim from Jamaica and from Barbados and from the West Indies. And we all know that they're no good. You see what I'm saying? No, they're not kosher. And what he meant, now, you know, there was enough in what he said that there's some truth to that, if you understand what he means. And what he means, of course, is that in Europe, at that time, they did not hold of the American Estrogam. Okay? They did not hold the American Estrogam. No, there's the ones that came from the West Indies. First of all, they're very traditionalistic. And second of all, they didn't know, you know, what's the shot with them, which I understand totally. You know, how would you know in Europe? And meanwhile, you have the regular Yannova Esrogam, you know, from Italy, and possibly the Corfu Esrogan, uh, and if you want the Moroccan, to throw them. So those are the things that people knew about, you know. And um, what shall I say? This this American stuff, like who knows whether it's, a, you know, kosher or not or anything like that. I would also th- throw in there that the European Rabbanim just were like very uncomfortable with the whole shot America. You know, it's, it's always been a problem in Jewish history that until the Second World War... Or around then, the Gedoli throw like felt funny about America, which is why they said nobody should move here to cover Chaim because it's trafe and all the rest of it. Which is kind of counterintuitive because it wasn't better in Europe. And second of all, if you hold America's trafe, come and make yeshivas here, which is exactly what eventually happened. So, you know, I always say, if YU would have started twenty years earlier, if Nehra Israel would have started 20 years earlier, if Tervodos would have started 20 years earlier, 30 years earlier, you wouldn't even have a conservative. And and, and the number of observant Jews in the United States would at least be double what it is, at least, and probably tripled. But listen, that's the way the cookie crumbled. And many people are familiar with the famous weird void from the uh, Jakob Etlinger, you know, the, the Rebbe of of San Hirsch, the big uh, guttel in Europe who was a young man at the time, and he published the Bikur Yaakov, which is that wonderful Sefer on Hilchah's uh, Sukkah, right, the Bikur Yaakov, which has the Shulchan Aruch in the middle and his peers around the side. In other words, it's not a Mishnah brain anything, it's his own, you see? And when you get to Tough Reis on Aleph, okay, uh, where it talks about the rule Hilchas Lulav and so forth, so the Shulchan Aruch says, well, that's what we do. We take the loom in the right hand. lomato. And make sure it's standing up the right way. And asterisk is small. An asterisk also. So words, it has to be held in the right way. This is why when you make the bracha, you hold the, the asterisk, so to speak, upside down, and then you turn it right side up. Right? So, you know, you know that it should be in, in the proper order. It shouldn't be makan before you do the bracha. Everybody knows that. So, uh in other words, it matters that the, that the asterisk should be it should be you know in the right way and all this stuff is online by the way just go to hebrew books you can see the whole on 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 the bikur yakov in and simat and all you know you you can do it uh and where it says in the Aruch, ikram lamato you know that the that the should be facing downwards Roche milah lamato so uh he says What exactly is the right way to be What exactly is the right way for the asteroid to to last? Alpha forgot the astrog tolly but Elon my love. The Uchus is actually facing upstairs. So why don't we hold the asteroid the way it grows on a tree, so to speak, physically, and hold it with the pentum at the bottom, so uh, so to speak. No. But that's not the right the right way is the way you and I do it. The Doko should be Upside down, meaning that the that the pitum should be facing in, uh, upstairs. And he's quoting Sefer Amalek with a Rishon. Those fools. That the Sefer says that there were people in his time, in the Middle Ages, who held that you he hold the esrog the other way around, like you know, it's the opposite way you and I do, and they're all wrong. 'Cause they don't understand how an ester grows, which apparently, you know, uh the beginning of it is is the the pitum and so forth. And then the Bikur Yaakov, and there's then Rabbi Yaakov Etlinger, uh who did go to college, but not really. I talked about him once. He was in college very reluctantly for a short period of time, and then when the anti citizen broke out, he actually was happy, you know, got out of college. Uh Europa, should go to be Bi America. He said, i Suffolk, If we in Europe would be Yotze with the Dalad Minim, especially the as they grow in America. So Yoshal and Sidenah tartino because since the globe is round, so they're on, they're on the so, art Let's see, Sidenah tartino, So if you think about it, they're growing like quote unquote beneath us, which is a funny way of thinking. But that's it's it's a very famous uh, Yakov and like Everybody knows this. Um this Yoshal and Sidenah betachtenu v'chein she because the scientists tell you, that basically, if the whole world is like a sphere, a ball, you know, so they're basically, from where I'm standing, the people on the other side of the globe are are, are facing downwards. It's just that the gravity's holding them in, right? So this was the scientific thinking of you know, a couple hundred years ago, whatever. So Maybe by them, the 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 should be held up. You no, know, maybe they should hold the little the other way, the of the other way around. Well, whatever you, you can look it up yourself. It's a it's a short piece, and um, people at that time rejected, it as you'll see in a second. But pe- you know, the whole idea of America was like weird. So you can be surprised. Uh, you'll, you'll you'll understand that um, when you talk about, oh, I have this Rogan coming from a place called, place called Jamaica or whatever, uh, the chief rabbi of London, others say, no, they're trafe and how do you know they're, they're not Morkov, and so on and so forth. Fine. So here comes this budding reform rabbi in New York, Rabbi Dr. Max Lillianzal, and he's saying, um, what do you call it? That, ooh, what shall I say? That this rabbi in Baltimore, Rabbi Rice, is permitting Eserogim that the Gedolim in Europe wouldn't permit. Now, let's put it this way. Satna's governor Sadek, a guy himself was a college of a column. He's writing about Rabbi Rice, who was a great and a great Sadik that he's uh, messing up. Now, the result was that um, Rabbi Rice responded. Okay? He responded. Now, if you know who Rabbi Rice was, he wasn't a good polemicist. He was not Hirsch and he was not somebody like that. That was his, uh, sorry, he had what, what I would say is the, the pluses and the minuses of the Yackies, which is he just had to say whatever he thought um, but never in a, sh- in a particularly sharp way. It wasn't as, as there. Maybe it was too fine. That might be the right way of explaining a very fine character, which is not what you needed in this country in the 1800s. You needed somebody who, who was a barroom brawler who could call you know, these guys are what they are and you know, had to be able to use the uh the German and English language, well, the reform specialized in this. The Orthodox didn't have people like them. It's just what it was. Today they do, it's all you see on the uh from websites. But at that time they didn't. And so what Rabbi Rice did, now he was working everything with Shem Shemayim. See so he said like this Um people are gonna think that since Lilienthal, who calls himself the chief rabbi of New York, if not more, and puts himself out there like a posik Rishon and says I'm an American Jewish leader and you can't use the Estrogum the over there, and since there are a lot of places that they get the Estrogum from the West Indies they'll say heck with it, we won't do Lul of this year, right, we'll just skip it uh, and that would be terrible and so because he was moved by a sense of halachic responsibility so he discussed this with his buddy Isaac Leizer, who I did a couple of a month or two ago, who had that newspaper, The Occident, that's the opposite of Orient, right? So the Orient is to the East, Occident is the West. Occident is spelled O-C-C-I- D-E-N-T. Uh, so, uh, and since American Jewry was all in the Far West, so they recalled The Occident. Uh, Isaac lezer wrote I guess what you would call the Jewish Times of America. That's what it, 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 it tried to be, and it was for a while. And it was called The Occident and American Jewish Advocate. And this was a newspaper, I think a monthly, that was read all across the the, the states at that time, as they say, up to the Mississippi River and even beyond. So uh, that's where you got your Jewish knowledge from. Okay? I mean, where do you know anything at all about Yiddishkeit if you're in the place called USA in the 1840s? You know what I mean? It's it's such a mid-burn, you see? And so um, he said, write a letter to the editor Explaining what's going on, now you can see this. This is the point I want to bring out to those who are listening today. Everything I'm talking about, all you have to do is go online, and just do the Occident, um, an American Jewish Advocate, and it'll come up. And I guess just do, you'll see Volume Five, Number Two, E R fifty six oh seven May eighteen forty seven, May eighteen forty seven. So they're already a couple months before Sukkot is when the whole Torah. Um, started and i'll say you can see everything i'm about to read you i'm just reading online and he says over there writing this on 20th april baltimore 5607 which is round pace of time and he says he says a letter to the editor by robert rice a short letter and he says dear my dear sir it is not long since that several of my friends urged me to come out publicly in your periodical with my opinion about the esrogim which are yearly brought from the west indies to this country this is Rabbi Rice writing. I am so much disinclined to give publicity to anything of a controversial nature in matters of religion. In other words, he I told you he had a fine kite. Once upon a time, I'm going to say something that sounds, that sounds funny to you. Once upon a time, it was considered totally not sugepast. They should discuss a halachic matter in a newspaper. That was considered so wrong. You understand? That's for a rabbi... And, uh, and a shaws and Chubas and a safer, and you know, that in a holy setting, a newspaper is considered something for hamon am low elements. You don't discuss high matters over there. But Nebuchadnezzar, what are we going to do now in this era 1830s and 40s and 50s? The frum started to change their mind on this because the non frum and the maskilim made hay with the with the with the newspapers. That's what they did. They 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 published a whole bunch of newspapers and journals and magazines and spread their ideas like wildfire. So eventually the firm just had to change, even though they didn't feel comfortable and they started, you know, would say from newspapers and from periodicals. This is when Hirsch did the Ishuran and uh, what do you call it? Rabbi Akabetliger as Rabbi did the uh what do you call it? and you know, they started to come out with orthodox uh things. Now the occident which was published in America. Isaac Leeser, I tried to explain, was a firm guy, but he he didn't know anything. Meaning, he said, "I am and I'm ours." I give him credit. He he said, I, "I make no pretensions," and if you have any questions about Allah, ask Rabbi Rice, which is the right way to be. He say he writes this all the time, but you also had these reform guys and stuff who were full of baloney and they 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 weren't as honest. So I'll get back to what I said, dear sir. I am so much disinclined to give publicity anything of a controversial nature in matters of religion, or to translate in modern English, I don't like to discuss halachic shilas in the newspaper, that even now I should not trouble you, but that the time is approaching. But here's why I'm writing this letter. When our yearly communications are made to the West Indies for the supply of citrons. So here we are in April, and it takes months for the stuff to get in there. So, uh, uh, what do you call it? So right now we have to put into orders. Okay, to the West Indies, and by that time you know the stuff hopefully will be will be will, 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 will get in time for sukkahs. and I therefore think it my duty for the sake of our religion to state no because I want to put in writing in a letter to the editor that these Esrogim are kosher by the way he writes in Hebrew these esrogim are kosher, and there cannot be found any word against them in all the postkim Rasho in other words you won't find a, a Safer of a poseg that says American Esrogim or puzzle. All rumors that were set afloat against the kashos of these Esrogim are founded in error and misinformation. So in other words, it may be that the Chief Rabbi of London, who was the Talmud thought that they're a trip, but it's, it's all based on misinformation. I'm telling you, I know. I'm here in Baltimore, which is not that far West Indies. I made my own trish I'll tell you right now, it's kosher. Now, my dear sir, I wish only to promote the unity of Israel in matters of religious observance, and I endeavor to effect that our brethren of Israel, or as we say, Achena Bnei Israel, should not be willfully, willfully deprived of the observance of mitzvahs lula without just cause. I remain your obedient servant, A. Rice. So this is the letter the Rabbi Rose read out, simply saying, like I said, in a very direct, Yeke style, the stuff is kosher, and don't believe those who say that it's not. Okay? Now, what's interesting is, um, Rabbi Lillian as far as I know didn't didn't reply, but if you go to this site that I said before, the Oxford American Jewish Advocate, you'll see that after the letter of Rabbi Rice, next month comes a letter from somebody called Mr. E. Goldsmith. Okay? Mr. E. Goldsmith. And um, here it is in July of 1847. Now I want to say this. Uh the guy who writes this, I don't know who he was, but he was also Talmud McCalkum clearly. There was more than one in America. Not on the level of Rabbi Rice, you know, that goes without saying. because nobody was. But you know, a, a a Jew who's writing into a letter of ear, and the letters in Hebrew. Okay? The letters in Hebrew. And that's very interesting because um, it's obviously not meant for the Hamun Am to read. Okay, uh, he And he writes in a very respectful way, and he disagrees with him. He said there was a Shash Morkov, and I'm reading what he writes. I, I, I'm going to say it again. This is written to the Occident, which is a newspaper of Ramaratim, but it's written in Hebrew, so it's obviously meant for the Yechidei Skula in the United States of America, such as there were at that time, which is a very small number. It's very interesting. And he says, accident, I see in last month's uh uh you know, um, edition of your newspaper. Uh Shahto Rani Rice near Baltimore. And I saw from the Torani and the Rabani. So he gives him a a a covadika, you know, he's a he's a he's a Rav, and he's a, uh uh says Al a Shayigd. Yigluba West Indies, shame Ksherim. And I saw there, Rice says that stuff from the West Indies is kosher. It doesn't matter, you know, Yom rishon, and it doesn't matter, um, what do you call it, you know, uh, whether or not you made a bediko on them, you know, to check them out, see if they're Murko. And I know that this was not what Rabbi Rice meant to say somebody like him, should say this so he's basically saying like this uh, now the truth of the matter is the guy who's writing this was what we call <laughs> you know a little bit learned, and a little bit learned people know that you know that what you do is there's certain simonim that the Marm Padua wrote in the 16th century. You know, does that blitos? Is the uh what does he say? You know, is the, the ukats is it Shakua? The kind of things that regular people look for, uh they hold themselves be mavinim uh, when they look for estrog uh, and what's considered a pretty estrog. So he's saying, I'm sure that Rice didn't mean they shouldn't have do any Padiga to see whether they're grafting or not. You should what he meant to say show them to a rabbi or somebody who knows, and they'll check out the simonim. Or you buy from an unquestionably from person. From an unquestionably firm person. But you don't just get these Esrogam from West Indies. Kacha, you know, because how do you know? So I'm sure that's not what Rabbi Rice meant to say, that you just buy them, you know, from your local esteric seller. And this is simply a shkaga me which is a very respectful way of saying a great person may have misspoken. And I'm afraid, I want to repeat, he's writing this in Hebrew, so he's not out to embarrass Rabbi Rice. It's the opposite. He's writing for the Yechideh school that they can understand, right? Uh, the average Jew in America couldn't read this. And I'm afraid, that our Jews living here, ye they'll make a mistake and they'll buy from every Tom Dick and Harry who sells an esther you know all over America, it could be New York, it could be Mississippi, it could be St. Louis, who knows cause you see a great him a blanket header. and they'll make a brach on them before showing it to the rabbi. And That would be a bro of all possibly therefore I, I made up my mind, remove the stan block with Omar, and I say West Indies, harbi man see that of lemons, and those which are in cultivated gardens and that sort of thing, so if they come from a wild forest, it's okay because nobody, you know, did anything to them. But if they come from a garden, then they were uh, morkov. Morkov. London, and I used to be in London, where after all there was a chief rabbi. And he's talking about uh, Solomon Herschel, who was a Talmud a son of Levin, and uh Ubachanti osam Ub him So I was in London. And there we checked that a lot. I, I assume he means we cut them open. And they're more of. But the Khirna, Shapama Isih al i Shalomazazaz London. I was at the chief rabbi's house in London. The Herali, now Rabbi Herschel, who was there for many decades, died in 1842. So this is five years later. So that was by him. The Herali, Kamas Rogan, the West Indies, Shayimur Koven, Uposal Ruba Meham. The Lachayim Barov, Medina's Europe. That's why in Europe they don't hold from them; they don't accept them. So the guy who's writing this was not a bad fellow. You can see, he and I'll say I repeat the fact that he's writing in Hebrew is very significant because he's not out to you know cause humiliation. Or anything this Rabbi Rice. He's simply saying from a very firm perspective, you don't make a about toah. You know what I'm saying? You don't make a about l-bat- toah, And therefore, when a Rabbi Rice says you can rely on him, he didn't he, you know, Chacham he didn't say it right. And he didn't mean just buy him sight unseen, but rather show it to your local rabbi. I don't know where your rabbis in America at that time, or some local Tama to check it out. Now it sounds very good. You can. I want to repeat. He's not saying anything bad, or chutzpiddik, or anything like that. He's not like Rabbi Lilienthal. He's saying she either um levarchelam some rov, which is what they do nowadays anyway. Or don't do it. I hope. And I hope Rabbi Rice will be Michael mead Notice I do not say this to embarrass him. I'm, I'm just worried about the hamon out there. They're going to think that he's just give a blanket heter. And he is more aware than I, he's a bigger talmud than me. So he knows if you say something improperly or inexactly, it's a neveira, like the, it says in, in the Perkevas. Lochem bocharti bemidas tuvo. I'm relying on his good character. She No, I'm not saying this to you know embarrass him, or argue him or anything like that. Besadeni b'mrma, and I my, I have my witnesses in Shammai. Shalosisi says Chas v'Sham lechvo bekvado. Kikol anshi a zomedina azos yodim shahu tamal chacham yoralehim. You see, uh, everybody knows who he is. Uh, uh, this so you know, it it sounds right. Notice, I don't see anything wrong with that letter, per se. You'll see Rabbi Rice's response, but he he meant, in a very way, to say maybe you didn't express yourself. You know in the right way, and I'm sure you would be happy for me to call this your attention. Now what's funny is, Isaac Leiser, the editor, who was no great Talmacham, he was not a dummy, but he was no Talmacham at all, he writes Hagam Masader, a a, a note from the publisher, from Isaac Leiser, he says, who says in Hebrew, by the way, and he writes in the Hebrew, so it's, it's very interesting, usually it's not in Hebrew, it's in English, that he's keeping this within the club I mean, I'm going to ask you the question. 1847, how many Talmudic of any level were there? And I imagine by that time it was probably 50,000 American Jews. 1847, is just before the Mexican War. As the time of the Mexican War. How many Jews were in the whole America? Or the 50,000, how many knew how to learn at all? So it's it's for the, you know, the the, the few. And he says, HaGos HaMasadar, LeFim Shamatim Avram, Based on what I heard from Rabbi Rice, I think that he didn't say anything weird. It's, it, his words are very clear. Now I don't know what the problem is. He obviously didn't mean that if you have an esrog that's Morkov, it's okay. I mean, if you brought one from the Holy Land, which they don't do. Be, if it's Morkov, it's Morkov. Obviously, what Rabbi Rice meant to say, in his letter to the editor, was against the one who said, which was Lilienthal, that all the estrogen, all the estrogen that grow in America are all pussel. Right? The very fact that they grow in America is the mum, which is ridiculous. And therefore, you may be certain that the result will be that all the Jews or most of the Jews in America won't be Mikhaels a little bit all. Okay, Dai and Rabbi Rice is Kadai. Somebody like him, a Shiyotsak, mym Goldberg Abraham Bing, who learned Yotsak mym, you know, he learned in Yeshiva by Rabbi Bing, who was the big rabbi in Germany, a Shur Hibrets Torber Rabbi Picck Wortsberg, a Shomkiso, a Yotsak and this Yashisha Zakane, Rab Abram Bing, and Zake means Konach Yisrael Israel Dove Kurshit. He was uh, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. There's also an old guy here in New York, uh Israel Kershit, uh Lizmachadrain Loch Birkhuslulov Althrogan. You know. Um there used to be uh a guy in New York whose name was Israel Kershid. And his son later on uh, was a mocker in, in, in New Orleans. And they were from Jews, and he actually had like a sheep education, it came in the 1790s. So he was for, it was a businessman, a ball of buzz. But in the America of that time, that basically was, you know, um, <laughs> that was made him the Vilna Gone. And so this is, and he also agrees that the American and Israel are okay fundamentally. I mean, if if you have one that's markup, then you do. But basically they're not, they are good as rogim. Uh, so this was that. The, shortly afterwards, Rabbi Rice wrote back and he said, these are all short letters, that's how I'm reading it. Uh, from Baltimore in, uh, in the middle of the month of C1. Roisi, again, but all in Hebrew now, they switched from the English to the Hebrew. Uh, Roisi besif Occident ro- mechadosh, she, uh uh Menachem Goldschmidt. So Rabbi Rice says, I see that this guy, Menachem Goldschmidt, Daito, note the Shoman West Indies, name. That you can't trust the Esrogan from the West Indies unless they're checked out first. Um so Rabbi Rice says, I like, No, I actually gave a blanket header. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, I know what I was saying. How are you going to find? How would you check if something's rum. Anything you find in Mugen Avram, which is like I say, you have the blitos and the shaku and the and the shape. The Mar himself said you can't rely on the simonim. So you know you have to assume. That a estroge is okay unless you know the morkav. Avol below zeh nezal basaruba foroves rogam in morkavim. So I, Rabbi Rice, when I wrote to the letter theater, I knew what I was saying. I was saying you can use anybody can use any of these srogem. You know if they're not chass or whatever. When he debarting kam anoshim adar medinas and I've spoken to many people, of Rabbi Rice, who live here in America, but call him keharon biyamrim shegedel biyaris kamol ilani srok if you go to the West Indies, they grow wild in forests, like Ilan Yisroch, Adam Ancheir Anshayoroshahakibosom. So, Lachoroshom uh, uh, Tosom. They grow wild, these, these citrons, and nobody goes and, and, and uh, you know, plants them. Nobody does Charisha and Natiya. They just grow. So, in other words, think about it. Use your head. Something that grows wild... Why would anybody go to a jungle or forest, and then start to be mark of them? Why would anybody be matrich anyone to go do that? There's no market for it. If you live in the West Indies, in Jamaica and Barbados and the other places, they give them for free. I told you the slave market and all that was to work the uh, sugar cane plantations, the other kind of stuff, you know, tobacco, whatever. Not the uh, citrons. Aye, they don't look like exactly like the esrogim we had back home in Germany. Eh, it doesn't garnish. Right? That there are all kinds of apples in the esrogim out there in terms of shape and color. But they're all kosher. you tell me because one looks different than the other. That itself makes it that it's more Bavade lo, alkein maamodi emod shelo nuchal lipsol esrogam alolu. Therefore, I stand by what I said before, which is you can't parse these asteroids. Anchiadu alanu bavade shemur kamen unless you know their makeup. Basimay malbav and isimanim you can't rely on. Ubezera asa kantem and with this I'm done. Hashemay yishma b'chol yichtal. I've said my piece. If you want to listen, you know. Then then, what do he called then then you want, if you want to listen, you want to listen if not, not it's up to you. I did not say you have to to use these I say if you ask my opinion, that's what a chuv is. if you ask my opinion, I think they're okay. that's how he ended you know a, a cotton album rice so then uh he gets another letter into the um in the Occident right, and they're all one after the other from uh, uh I think goldsmith again. Where he says "tomo ekra, Tomo tama ekra," you know that's a play on words. Tommy, Tommy ek, right? So Tommy, Tommy but like bit me, I oh, get it. Alhagasa shakasa as a but Ob- West Indies, alhagasa tsar That he's writing to Isaac Lezer. That you know what was the purpose of your uh letter? You know, note to the editor that you dissed me. Kibuchal dvorai dvarov. The basic guy said the same thing as as Rabbi Rice. You said it's clearly easy. I'm not a dummy. This Menachem Goldschmidt says. Anybody who learned a little bit knows this. I understand what it means. Anybody knows that I learned a barbei rabbechad yom. Anybody has any yeshiva education knows this. But that's not American jewelry. Ruben ben and the public's going to take this, you know, sight on scene in any asterisk uh, that comes from West Indies, they're going to take. Now you see, the funny part is, that is what Rabbi Rice seemed to admit. But he can't accept it. That's why I tried to explain for the, uh, to, to to make it more understandable to the American public, American Jewish public. That they have to show it to a rabbi first or something. So, so what's the point of you writing your, you know, this on me? When you're saying that Rabbi Rice was this trying to say that he doesn't agree with those who say that all, all, all the American because they're American are apostle, I never heard anybody. I myself never said that. Reisi shail a me to Yaakov Etlinger. Now look at this. He says I saw a tshuva from Yaakov etlinger who av bazim mekach altona, shahu rotselipso asruglam down by America. Now I wonder where he saw this, um, because the, the sefer wasn't published yet. So maybe it's in the um, newspaper. Because Yaakov etlinger I have it. I just don't have the time to go look at it. It's called the Troyot Siungs Vechter or the Shomer Tzion an and I have all the Hebrew parts. And it, it might be in there uh because he says over there that that uh it's true ya biakov and the groats are live live so it's in america ne shadina selsis tachs raglyancha europe that strange swore we saw before him biakov being ken anje de dluso but on three from lito has rag de dluso of a bottlevoir but obviously he's wrong she in kenya srugm over to europe or srugnche america but if that's the case then it works both ways then you can't import into the United States and a European estrogue, because from the point of view of American Jews, the Europeans are upside down, right? I know there are some people that want to apostle all the estrogues. See, that's what's his name. That's the Reform Rabbi. I say, no, show it to your Rabbi. Make a bedikah. Okay? But I never said that they're all tref together. Uh... So that was the long and the short of the whole business. And then Isaac Leeser writes at the end. In addition to the other letters, we receive one from Mr. Isaac Levy of Cincinnati. This is eighteen <laughs> forty-seven, who contends that having examined during seven years more than five hundred, he found on all he found in them all the signs of grafted fruit, meaning citron on lemon stock, and con- consequently not the true citron. Now, I don't know how he did it. I mean, I'm just reading what uh, Isaac Lees is writing in 1847 in America at that time. But by the way, you see, they weren't 100% Amaranth. It was like 99%. 1% people knew this stuff. One of the signs which he professes to have discovered that they have uh, contain a substance analogous to lemon juice and they have a thin rind. And therefore, the, the, because of that, the these uh, deserogum from the West Indies is no good. That actually makes sense, doesn't it? But Isaac Leeser says we can contradict from our own experience. We have owned a large, we have opened a large quantity. So Isaac Leeser says, listen, every year I get an and afterwards in Philadelphia, here we are in 1830s and 40s, I cut them open to check them out and have all, uniformly found them to be thick-skinned and dry, which as you know is a sign that it's an estrogate. And after preserving them, they had all the appearance of the imported Italian article to preserve citron of commerce. Notice they look like the classic Esrug of the Yonavur. We do not profess to be able to decide the question and where so many doctors disagree, which means doctors, here means rabbis. So I'm an Amaris, I'm not getting involved in a in a mechlukis. But as far as our private judgment goes, and if we are correctly informed, we must say that the West India citrons are growing on the original stock, meaning they're not Morko, and have neither taste, smell, nor appearance of orange or lemon. We do not wish to stifle inquiry on this subject, But we really think that Dr. Lilienthal threw him the contest first rose. You see that? So this shows you what The guys I read you today were all from guys. And, you know, it was just a question of are you clear or not on on the subject. But the guy who started the whole thing himself was a phony and doesn't even believe in, you know, the love of an asterisk. And later on, you can be sure that the the reform, when they started the classical reform, which, which Lilienthal was part of, I'm sure it got rid of the little ministerial business, and I certainly didn't give a darn about whether or not they're more come here. have to stop. Yeah, I had to switch reels here or whatever you call it. Anyway, uh, you see over here that all the people involved, besides from the, the future reform rabbi, were actually running on a very high level. In other words, they conducted this discourse, I think, in a very um, appropriate way, and especially you know you keep it in Hebrew, keep it away from Hamon Am. And Isaac Leeser, who's writing in English, says in Pfeirish, uh, we do not wish to stifle inquiry on any subject, meaning we welcome anybody who wants to discuss any halachic issues. That's great. But we really think that Dr. Lilienthal, through whom the contest first arose, so known as the, the phony, and Mr. Goldsmith, Mr. Kersheet, Mr. Rice, that's what he calls our Rice, and Mr. Levy, may elucidate the subject better, by private correspondence than public communications, which is just interesting. Notice he said this might be something, if you have back and forth on halachic niceties, um, on on real substantive issues speaking in halachically, that probably you should write to each other rather than do it to a paper, because most people don't understand what's going on over here. It doesn't mean in a bad way. And I found somewhere else that there's a letter to the editor. I couldn't find it somebody writing under the name MS, praised Leeser. He says, I think you did a good job bringing this up. Undoubtedly, you will admit, he says, that such discussions as those of our highly learned neighbors, Mr. Goldsmith, with Reverend Rice of Baltimore, are of great consequence and calculated to enlighten the community of Israel here. So in other words, one reader at least says like this, this is high class stuff. Now you have to understand, in America, 1847, this really was... You know, uh, an intelligent discussion uh, of a, a perfectly valid issue. You know, Estrogim, Morkov, this, that, and the other. He brings Yakov Uh This is not the usual junk you find in the Oxenet and these other papers. When I say junk, I'm not blaming them because America was very primitive at that time, Jewishly speaking. But this one was something of a better level. Now, Isaac Mayer-Wise, who was even worse than Lilienthal, much worse, wrote, and he said, Emerson, you know, he's always very, he was a good polemicist. He's a real mumzer, but he was a real good, you know, uh stusser you know, you knew how to cut right to the thing, and he says, Emmis wishes a journal of this enlightened age shall fill up its pages about esrogim, murkavim, and lard oil, Notice uh uh questions about kashras. Are we Chabadniks? Chasidim? He says C-H-A-B-O T-N-I-C. Chabadnik. Here you have 1847. There wasn't a Lubavitch in America yet. He said, What are you, bunch of (laughs) Chabadsters? This is is actually funny. I'll tell you something right now. Uh, As far as I'm aware, the first mention of Chabad was by Lilienthal in the Occident when he wrote, when he arrived in this country, some very interesting uh, descriptions of his experiences in Russia. Here we're dealing with a separate issue about whether or not he was a good writer or not. I'm not talking about whether he was a rabbi, you know, because they turned reform. But um, he saw the, even though he was a Moscow, he saw the phoniness of Russian that what they really want, the long term goals to convert everybody to Christianity. And he wasn't in favor of that either. The reform are not in favor of converting to Christianity. Let me be clear about that. And it was very interesting you can go again online and, you know, you just do Lilian's all in Occident and something like that. And think about this, what he writes about Russian policy. Um, where is it here? Uh, where is it? Yeah. Russian policy um, in the time of the czar has been the same thing ever since then down to Putin right now, where he says that he's talking about the fact that the Russians are always screwing the Jews, but they're explaining all we mean for their welfare. And he writes, this is, uh, what's the name, Lilienthal. It is a peculiarity, rather, of the Russian state policy to assign a plausible reason for every act that is done by government in order to stand justified in the estimation of Europe, whilst they do, while they, by so say, throwing dust in the eyes of the public, conceal their true purpose. Didn't Putin say I'm invading Ukraine in order to save them from Nazis? <laughs> right? uh the, the the basic idea of Checker uh not midvar Sheker tirchak, but Eldvar Sheker tikrov, has been a fundamental you know tool of Russian state policy going back a long way uh, if I remember correctly, I think that uh Lilithol did visit the Temoscetic i think uh the bobbachs can answer better they'll know i i I'm pretty sure i' haven't thought about it yet. Uh, and, and, and what do you call it? He had to, somebody said he had to go to a, a three-way convention commission in St. Petersburg. It's all part of law, allure, part true, part not true. And uh, so he writes in the Occident, uh, in the 1840s, these are my trips in Russia, and I saw Voloshin, and I saw Lubavitch. It's, it's just very interesting. This is the first time such things were brought to the attention of the English-speaking American Jew. I don't know what they knew how to do with it, but uh you know but that there you have it now um all this is is simply by way of saying that you see the history of the asrogim uh i touched on one nakuda of it is a gigantic area maybe somebody done a book i'm not familiar with it and it's certainly a, a a dissertation uh at least and uh here we have an american moment uh i'll say it again this is just before the reform kicked in Within a few years, 1848, 49, 50, and so forth, their forms really started to take off. And people like Isaac Mayer Wise and Max Lilienthal and a bunch of others started to simply say, like this, we're not, we're not, we don't have to worry about the Esrogan. We don't hold from the Old Tower anyway. I mean, in other words, we don't hold that the whole thing is binding, uh, as you know. Uh, But here we had a Kodak moment before this happened. Anyway, I just wanted to share, I thought it's an interesting piece of Americana. And English-speaking Judaism in 19th century, and with that, I will wish everybody a good Moe and thank the Elbam family. And again, we hope that uh, the uh, that Rabbis uh, Rav should continue, should be in perfect health. Amen.